the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Chalcedon Report Number 20, May 1967 A very basic fact hides behind a rather difficult philosophical term, epistemological self-consciousness. What does this mean? Two simple illustrations will help us grasp its meaning. An artist with marked epistemological self-consciousness is William D. Kooning. D. Kooning paints in terms of Nietzsche's statement, quote, The will to a system is a lack of integrity, unquote. For D. Kooning, no system of thought or of art is possible because there is no meaning. As a result, his painting is simply meaningless daubs and blotches, a defiance of meaning and pure self-expression expressive of the moment and its impulses. According to Hess, de Kooning paints in terms of, quote, no environment, unquote. And this concept Hess defines for us. No environment. The metaphysical and social alienation of man from society and the nightmare of urbanization have been a preoccupation of modern writers from Marx, from Marx and Dostoevsky to Heidegger and Celine. For de Kooning, however, quote, no environment, unquote, is a metaphysical concept with physical materiality, with flesh and cement. In the Renaissance, he has pointed out, the painter located a Christ and a Roman soldier in their appropriate, quote, places, unquote. What is a, quote, place, unquote, today? Thomas B. Hess, William de Kooning, page 18, New York, George Braziller, 1959. For de Kooning, man has no, quote, place, unquote, and the very idea of, quote, place, unquote, is meaningless. There is, quote, no environment, unquote, because there is no framework of meaning for anything. As a result, de Kooning paints nothingness, because there is really nothing else to paint. The world is a world of nothingness, and for many artists, art to be realistic must portray nothingness. Modern art is not photographic, but it is realistic. For modern art, reality is brute factuality. It is meaninglessness. The interest of modern artists in Buddhism is because of this agreement with Buddha that not God, but nothingness is ultimate. As a result, these men are at war with the world of God and law. The world of meaning for them, the true faith, is in nothingness. Their nihilism calls for the destruction of the, quote, pretense, unquote, of meaning. 
of such men, we can say that they have a high degree of epistemological self-consciousness. They know that on their atheistic premises, a man can know nothing. And some of them, the, quote, hippies, unquote, in particular, try to live in terms of their faith. For a second illustration, take any modern atheistic scientist. The scientist denies that there is a God who has created all things and whose predetermined plan governs all things. Like de Kooning, the scientist believes in a meaningless, quote, no environment, unquote, world where nothing has a, quote, place, unquote, because the very idea of a place for things means an absolute law and plan. But the scientist still works in his laboratory as though a plan existed. His scientific theories assume a plan and a place for all things, and he operates in his science on the assumption that there is a meaning and a direction in the universe. If he has allowed his atheism to govern his science, the scientist would have to deny his science as surely as de Kooning has denied everything that art once meant. De Kooning, of course, does not have full epistemological self-consciousness. This full self-knowledge would be suicidal for unbelieving man, and he fights against it. Without God, there is neither meaning nor life. Every non-Christian presupposes at some points the existence of God, even as he consciously denies him, because without him, all knowledge and meaning would be impossible. But God steadily moves all men and history to epistemological self-consciousness. He forces men to know that without him, they have no foundation, that their lives are built on sand. Men want the world of law and order which God created, but they want it without God. They complain because all respect for authority is disappearing, and their children fail to give them the honor and obedience which is their due. But if God's absolute law and plan are withdrawn from education and denied, a child and an adult is given then the right to think that his plan is just as good as anyone else's plan. If there is no God, then there is no authority. A very brilliant college student who headed a criminal gang told me that there was no such thing as crime because there was no absolute law. His very fine parents were deeply hurt and shaken by his criminality and his arrest and trial, but the young man was not. His education had told him that the man was merely a product of chance evolution, and he believed, therefore, that all the old standards were false. By the age of 20, he had already lived more luxuriously than his well-to-do parents ever had and enjoyed more of the, quote, best, unquote, pleasures of life than they ever could. A year in prison was a cheap price and a kind of vacation. This young man had more epistemological self-consciousness than his parents. He knew at least the basic choices, God and moral law versus no God, no law, no meaning. The trouble with most men today is that they want the, quote, best, unquote, of two worlds, the moral order and meaning of God's world and the freedom from God of atheism. The liberals, as a result, dream of a new world order in which all men will be well-behaved brothers, as good as the best Sunday school children, having full freedom from God's moral law without misbehaving or becoming socially destructive. The non-Christian conservative thinks that by winning some elections, he can restore the old godly law order and authority 
and have a free country again, when most men are drifting into de Kooning's world and have no use for the ideals he espouses. Man cannot reestablish true authority and law order without first acknowledging and obeying the true authority, the triune God. As a result, as history moves ahead, because epistemological self-consciousness increases, sinful man's rebellion against authority increases, because he progressively denies all authority and all meaning. Once non-Christian man was held in line by some of the God-given institutions established at creation. The family in particular long functioned as man's basic policing power and source of order. But as men developed the principles of their unbelief, of their rebellion against God, they progressively rebelled against every authority God set up in family, state, school, society, and everywhere else. Their only authority has become steadily their own will. Atheism itself is destroying the family, whether under communism, socialism, or democracy. Atheism is destroying authority in every area. College students are taught disrespect even for their teachers by their teachers because the corrosive face of atheism destroys all authority. Instead of community, there is only a mob. Students were once self-reliant, individualistic, capable gentlemen who were taught how to exercise authority and also submit to authority. Today, they are only members of a mob, meaningless blobs, because for them there is no meaning apart from their momentary impulses. It is therefore of the utmost importance for Christians to develop epistemological self-consciousness. This means Christian education. It means a Christian philosophy for every sphere of human endeavor. It means recognizing that every issue is basically a religious one. As Stacy Hebden Taylor has written in a very important study, quote, He who rejects one religion or God can only do so in the name of another, unquote. E. L. Hebden Taylor, The Christian Philosophy of Law, Politics, and the State, page 22, Nutley, New Jersey, The Craig Press, 1967. The humanists religiously deny every authority other than man, and their totalitarian state is a deliberately conceived man-god defying the order of God with man's own order. The intensely powerful religious force of humanism, with all its hatred of God and the God's world of law and order, can never be defeated by people whose ground of operation is vaguely Christian and largely humanistic. The lack of Christian epistemological self-consciousness is one of the major reasons if not perhaps the major, for the growing victory of the enemy. Christians are too often trying to defend their realm on humanistic grounds with Saul's armor, and as a result, they are steadily in retreat. Often they are actually fighting for the enemy without knowing it. But victory should be ours. The more the enemy becomes what he is, the more his epistemological self-consciousness matures, the more impotent he becomes. What competition is a, quote, hippie, unquote, for a truly Christian man? What competition is a De Kooning or a Bob Dylan for a Johann Sebastian Bach? But if we rear up a generation on humanistic premises, they will follow humanistic leaders. Humanism is progressively decaying. The more it becomes itself, 
the more repulsive and impotent it becomes. Nothing is more deadly for tares than maturity. They are then openly identified as tares, as worthless and poisonous, as definitely not weak. Today, the impotence and confusion of humanism is marked. It is wallowing in failure all over the world, in failure, but not in defeat, because there is no consistent Christian force to challenge and overthrow it. Nietzsche said, quote, The will to a system is a lack of integrity, unquote. That is, to believe in a system of truth is to submit oneself to a higher law, to God. The strength of the humanist is their denial of a system. It is their lawlessness. They have been successful destroyers, but they cannot build. The strength of the Christian can only be a, quote, system, unquote, an example, systematic theology, a knowing, intelligent, and systematic obedience to the triune God, and a faithful application of God's law order to every sphere of life. If the Christian operates without this system, he is a humanist without knowing it. And this is the reason for the very great impotence of conservative evangelical Christianity. It is neither fish nor fowl. God cannot bless a cause which does not honor him. As Dr. Cornelius Van Til has said, quote, The Holy Spirit cannot be asked to honor a method that does not honor God as God. Unquote. Cornelius Van Til, A Christian Theory of Knowledge, page 9, Craig Press, 1954. Let us honor God, that He may honor us and our cause. Chalcedon Report, number 21, June, 1967. A subject of growing importance and urgency today is devaluation. According to the dictionary, quote, devaluate, unquote, means, quote, to fix the value of the currency to a low level to which an emergency has driven it, unquote. In its simplest form, devaluation occurs when the value of the gold backing of a paper currency is raised and the paper money is accordingly lowered in value. Thus, if the gold is worth $35 an ounce or is held at $35 an ounce and is then raised in price to $70 an ounce, the paper money goes down in value and is now worth proportionately less. Previously, paper money was redeemable, as U.S. paper money is today by foreign countries. At 35 paper dollars for an ounce of gold, if gold goes to $70, then it takes 70 paper dollars to buy an ounce. The purchasing power of the paper has decreased in the same ratio that the gold has increased. Devaluation is not the same as debasement, although the two often go together. In debasement, the weight or standard of the gold or silver in coins is reduced without reducing the face value of the coin. Thus, the silver quarter had 23 cents in silver in it. At $1.29 an ounce, the old price, the new quarter has only 2 or 3 cents of materials in it but passes for 25 cents. The mint makes a sizable profit on it. Debasement affects coinage, and this is a limited part of our money today. Devaluation affects most of our money. Devaluation is a product of controls and of socialism. It follows the expansion of paper money and credit. The vast increase in money supply with paper money 
does not change the fact that the basic money is gold. Those who say there is not enough gold in the world to be our monetary unit forget that gold is already our monetary unit all over the world. Our trouble comes from the fact that we are trying to substitute a counterfeit paper money for it. The paper inflates because it is counterfeit. Gold is going up in price, not because gold is changing in value, but simply because the inflated paper is worth less. Before 1913, gold had changed very little in price for 85 years. It has changed since then because gold is now traded, not for real wealth, but for inflated paper money. The more inflation increases, the more gold will demand a higher price. Only gold-backed currencies flow in international trade. No foreign country is interested in irredeemable paper money. Devaluation thus is a product of irresponsibility. The more paper money a state prints, the more a civil government goes into debt. The more the demand mounts for gold as a protection against increasingly worthless paper. The printing press treasury wants to say that its money is still, quote, as good as gold, unquote. But people begin to show their fears and prefer gold. To devalue is to confess that the paper money is failing and this treasuries hesitate to do. On the other hand, once they devalue, the treasuries double the value of the gold they possess. If they double the price of gold, and this gives visions of the instant wealth and frees them from more inflation. Devaluation is like a partial bankruptcy. It frees a country from some of its debts and gives its power to incur far greater debts. It prepares the way for total bankruptcy. We have scarcely touched the economics of devaluation, but our concern is with its morality, its ethics. Devaluation of money is simply one of the consequences of moral devaluation. Moral devaluation is the erosion of moral standards and of godly law and order. It comes when people pay lip service to God, but reinterpret God's law to suit their taste. Moral devaluation is present when people are against immorality generally, but feel that there is no point in being a, quote, blue nose, unquote, about it. They are against perversions, but they do not favor the severity of God's law concerning it. They disapprove of stealing, but hotel, quote, souvenirs, unquote, are another matter. Moral devaluation produces a world in which people want the law and order of morality, but not its responsibility. We are thus against abortion, but with increasing qualifications. We are against murder, but we enforce capital punishment less and less, although it is required by God. We want other people to be responsible so that we will have less troubles and problems ourselves. Moral devaluation always precedes monetary devaluation. The first and foremost step in monetary devaluation is inflation. And, in 1936, Freeman Tilden, in A World in Debt, page 279, observed that there were two facts which preceded inflation. First, their, quote, is the intent to falsify the true economic position of a nation or to relieve the debtor at the expense of the creditor, unquote. Second, quote, inflation, whether of bank credit or of paper currency, cannot be effective until the larcenous purpose is generally comprehended.
Unquote. Both these facts represent moral devaluation, moral collapse. It is absurd to try to tell socialistic legislators and voters that their course of action is immoral from a Christian perspective. This is why they chose it. Larceny in the heart precedes inflation and is necessary before inflation can work. Moral devaluation is thus the source and cause of monetary devaluation. A minor but vivid sidelight on our moral devaluation has been cited by Charles H. Brower. The word, quote, square, unquote, was once a symbol of perfection in Bible times. More recently, it has been a term indicating integrity, honesty, dependability, and character. Now the word, quote, square, unquote, is used by our youth and by radicals as a term of contempt. It means that people who are honest and moral are ridiculous and foolish. Monetary devaluation is the progressive destruction of money, often ending in economic collapse and anarchy. But before that stage sets in, moral anarchy begins to prevail. Moral anarchy precedes economic anarchy and is furthered by it. The world of monetary devaluation is a world which prefers and encourages more moral devaluation. What to do about it? A man does not become moral merely by being against sin. No one hates stealing more than the gambling house operators of Las Vegas, and they take stern measures against it. Morality believes that the universe is governed by God's absolute law and that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God eternal life. Morality moves positively to bring the world under God's law and to establish the dominion of God's law over man and his society. As Moses said long ago, quote, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Unquote. Exodus 32:26. The test, Moses declared, was an open stand in warfare in God's name to establish God's order. Nothing less than faith and the obedient works of faith are acceptable. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce John Rushby. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he assures by his pain, the very prize. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me.
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.